0: Welcome everyone, this is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, but we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready, let's go. Father, we thank you that you've given us this privilege to be a part of what you're doing in the earth and what you're doing in the earth through believers. And I ask you in Jesus name that you would just have your way, that you would be glorified in our midst, that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight because you, O Lord, are our strength and our redeemer. Father, just couple your people, just build your people up, strengthen your people, Father. Make all of us what you would have us to be. Let the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God shine through us in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Help us to cry loud and spare not when it comes to preaching the truth of God to the people of God. Oh, Father, but let us live in such a way when the preaching is over, the preaching in the pulpit, the preaching in the sanctuary, let our lives preach, not a preaching of condemnation, not a preaching of condescension, but a preaching of the goodness of God, the mercy and the grace and the excellence and the greatness of our God. We pray for every professional, that every need in spirit, soul, and body would be met, that every deficit would be supplied for and that there would be more than enough in every area of their lives. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, so let's uh, go to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter one. Now, remember this, the Gospel of John is written by the apostle named John. But our study is about John the baptizer, John the immerser, John the Baptist. All right? so. We've been looking at, listen, we've been listening, looking rather, we've been looking at the whole concept of knowing one's assignment, knowing one's assignment. The first time I did a study on this, I tried to share a lesson entitled Lord, teach me my assignment. And that's still my prayer. I trust it's yours as well. Lord, teach me my assignment. We've changed the title of this lesson just a bit, this treatment just a bit, our approach is just a bit different. Knowing one's assignment, in this case, knowing your assignment or knowing my assignment. And we've dealt with nine components. There are many (coughs) components of knowing one's assignment, but we've dealt with nine key components, number one, to know my sender, the person who gave me the assignment, know my sender, know myself. Know, I'm, I'm not pausing because of the nine, I'm pausing because of the first one. I've been meditating on something along those lines. And I was contemplating, because I don't know, we have enough time to go back there. But anyway, let me continue. Know my sender, know myself, know my superior or my system, the system where I'm called to serve. just a word of them. Good to see you. Uh, Know my skills, know my service, know my scope, know my schedule, know my satisfaction, and know my successors. John chapter one, when we step into this narrative, John the Baptist, John the Baptist is being interrogated by some people who want to know who he really is because they're fascinated by what he's doing. What is he doing? He's baptizing. He's preaching. He's teaching. And he's having massive impact on the nation. And because he's having massive impact on the nation, other power brokers, or shall I say, power brokers, send representatives to ask John, who are you? In view of what you're doing, we like knowledge of your being, Sister Michaela Blue. Good to see you on. All right. Do you see that? Your your doing with excellence will always bring attention to your being. I'll say it again. Your doing, if you do a thing well, and if it draws attention, the quality of your doing will cause interest to rise in your being. We gave the illustration a few sessions ago about the fact that it was Oprah's doing as a talk show hostess, as a media mogul, all of that, it was her doing that caused people to give such attention to her being. What is Oprah like to eat? What is Oprah like to wear? And, and of course, I gave the book club as an example. Oprah is a reader. That's who she is. And what she does gave such recognition to her that people became more and more interested in who she is. And so if Oprah, as a reader, if Oprah as a thinker endorses a certain product, immediately becomes a bestseller. But the reason why who Oprah is matters to so many people is because she excelled in the area of what Oprah does. Can you see that? And so when you, ex- there's a passage of scripture in the book of Proverbs, what the Bible says, um, uh, let, let me get it quickly. He says, you see a man who's who's diligent in his business, It's Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29. Proverbs 22:29. It says, "Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings; he shall not stand before mean men." The word mean there means ordinary. As in the arithmetic mean, are you familiar with the arithmetic mean? It's a term that means average. Okay? And so it says, if you're diligent in your business, if you excel in your assignment being fulfilled, you will be positioned among people of note, of people of influence. You will not remain among the average. It's the same principle. When people are impressed with who you are, they become intrigued, excuse me, when they're impressed, with what you do, excuse me, when they are impressed with what you do, they become intrigued with who you are because who you are is the root of which what you do is the fruit. And when they become impressed with the fruit, they want to examine the root. They want to know who you are because they're so impacted by what you do. And so, John the Baptist is impacting people because of what he's done. And so the Bible says in verse 19 of John chapter one, they ask, who are you? Who are you? What you're doing is having such impact. We need to know who you are because we understand that the, the power of what you do must be proceeding, proceeding from a depth of who you are. And notice now that that he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not any of these things. And so they ask him, who are you? And he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. As Isaiah said, verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet, he Now, if I were preaching today, and I'm not. But if I were preaching today, I would stop right there and tell you that what John the Baptist said is that I am the fulfillment of a prophecy. And I need you to understand that you are the fulfillment of a word from God. Everything that God created, he created by means of his word. And so, even as Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh. You are a word from God made flesh. That's why you're here. That's why you exist. You are a word from God made flesh. That's the only thing that would have brought you into existence. That's why God said to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in thy mother's womb, I knew thee. In other words, you existed in the thoughts of God. Before you existed in the scrotum of your father and the uterus of your mother, you existed in the thoughts of God. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. The, the psalmist wrote, many of the thoughts that uh, that uh, God has toward us. You existed as a thought in God until God, What is what is a word? A word is an expression of a thought. A word is the expression of an idea. And so the God who thought you, smoke you, breathed you, as we were teaching on this past uh, evening, last evening. Amen. Yes, Madison Colvin, that's it. Okay. so. Yes, Dr. Huger, you existed in God's thoughts. That's right. He fore, what the Bible say, he foreknew you. What do you know? Thoughts. He foreknew you. Uh, Romans chapter eight, for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. All right, so John is clear on who he's not, and he's clear on who he is. And we have invested the last few sessions talking about satisfaction, the eighth of the nine components, the satisfaction of having fulfilled one's assignment. We talked about the fact that the Bible says the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. When you accomplish what you intended to accomplish, the Bible lets us know that it it is so gratifying. That's where I want to, to stop. I mean start. I want to land right here. And 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 in other words, a stopping point to part for just a moment. Remember last time. We talked about the fact that there's a threefold outcome. If an individual fulfills the assignment successfully, there is to be the glory of God, the professional outcome, the glory of God, the good of people and the gratification of the one who serves. If you're the professional, God gets the glory, people get good, and you get gratification. If you invent a new kind of pie, if you come up with a a pie that tastes just like apple pie or just like peach pie, or, or you understand, or just like strawberry shortcake or what have you, And yet, it has no uh, sugar, no calories. All right, you can be sure that people are going to want to eat that. They're going to want to buy that. They want to purchase that, and so, so, so they they get good from being able to eat without consuming sugar. And, and, and no other, you know, everything's natural. Okay, everything's natural. And, and so they're getting the pleasure of eating without all of the pain and the price of eating. <clears throat> You're gratified because they pay you. And because they appreciate your having made this possible. But if you are a professional man or woman, you give honor, praise, and glory to God for having given you the idea, given you the thought and giving you the system through which you are distributing this new kind of pie. You understand what I'm saying? So if you are successful as a professional, there is a threefold outcome that is necessary for you to be labeled or to be considered kingdom professional. Number one, God gets the glory. That doesn't just mean, say God gets the glory. It means that the way that you live, the way that you do business, the way that you treat people, the values that govern your business, those things reflect God positively. That's the glory to God. And secondly, people's good. People enjoy the product. People are benefited by the product. People are coming off sugar-based desserts because now you're giving them natural desserts that don't have sugar in them that don't blow them up. People's good. And then your gratification, whatever you charge with pies, hopefully you've got it set up in such a way that there is overhead being taken care of, but there's also a profit margin as well so that you can send your children to college. Right? So, so, so the glory of God, the good of people, the gratification of the one who serves. Put that in the comments, friend, put that in the comments. The, the, when you are successful completing your assignment as a professional, there should be three outcomes. The glory of God, and it's one outcome, but three pronged. The glory of God, the good of people, and the gratification of the person who served. Oh, I don't see that, Brother Blue. I, I see where God gets the glory, and I see where people get good, but I don't see necessarily where people to be gratified. Well, let's think about Jesus. You know, he's the chief example. In the uh, fourth chapter of the book of John, same book, um, uh, uh, the Bible says he was hungry and tired sitting on the well, on a well in Samaria, Sychar, Samaria, in the middle of the day. Up comes this woman. He asked her for water because he's tired and hungry, right? The disciples have gone to the village to buy food. By the time they come back, he's been preaching, he's been moving, he's been doing all these wonderful things and he's apparently energetic and fired up. And they said, somebody must've brought him some food before we got, in other words, before we got back from McDonald's, somebody must've cut across the path, the Burger King and brought him something back to eat. Look at this, Uh, look at verse 31. John 4, 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, that is they urged him, they begged him, saying, master, eat, verse 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, if any man brought him all to eat, somebody must have fed him before we got back. Listen to what Jesus said. Look at verse 34 now. My And Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish his work, he said, when I start doing what I've been assigned to do, it feeds me. I don't want to dwell on this too much because I've got to talk about this later. But did you hear what I said? Jesus said, when I do what I was born to do, when I do what I was created to do, when I I do what I was made to do, when I do what I'm called, chosen, anointed, and appointed to do, it feeds me. He's talking about gratification. He said, I'm getting so much fulfillment from touching the life of this woman. I'm getting so much fulfillment from knowing that I'm redirecting her focus until you can hold my burger. I'll eat my burger later, but but, but right now I'm gratified. You understand? That's why I told you it's not just money. The Bible doesn't say anything about anybody giving Jesus an offering, but he was gratified in knowing that he was doing the will of the one who sent him. He said, my meat, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Can you see it? Satisfaction. And so when you do what you're called, chosen, anointed, appointed, created, made to do, it will bring glory to God and it will bring good to people and it will also bring gratification to you as the one who's serving. I think about Paul. Remember what Paul said uh, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, everybody's left me. So many have abandoned me. Timothy, hurry up and get here to me. But listen to what he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. He's saying I'm gratified in knowing that I've done what I was called to do. I've done what I was chosen to do. That's gratification. Remember, I told you the the old song that uh, the saints used to sing. Lord, I done done, I done done what you told me to do. I have already done, this is the way we would say it in standard uh, grammar, but they said, I done done. I have already done what you told me to do. And there is fulfillment in knowing that you done done what God told you to do. God gets the glory, people receive good, you receive gratification. Can you receive that? Now, there are some people who claim to be spiritual. They're not spiritual in that regard. Um, Who say that gratification, that doesn't matter. That shouldn't matter. Yes, it does. When you know you please God, that gratifies you. When you know you've helped people, that gratifies you. If you are not gratified, you're not going to be around to serve and bring glory to God and good to people. The thing about it is you've got to keep them in the right priority. you got to keep them in the right hierarchy. You've got to keep them in the right order. God is always first, serving others next. And then personal gratification. Third, I'm speaking to you as a professional. Come on. I'm speaking to you as a professional. And that gratification can include monetary gratification or monetary remuneration, compensation. Absolutely. Absolutely it can include material or monetary. And, and, And God has nothing against it as long as you don't allow it to come between you and Godly character you don't make a god of it you don't make an idol of it you don't begin you don't begin to worship material profit you follow but as long as God is God see when when you begin to uh When you begin to say that material gain and so forth—that that's not of God, that that's against the will of God—then you're going to have to explain why God made these people rich, that He made rich. Was God schizophrenic? Was God bipolar? Was God working against God? Because it was God who made Abram incredibly wealthy and Isaac incredible. And Jacob and Joseph, immeasurably wealthy. It was God who promised the nation of Israel houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant and wells from which they did not, wells they didn't dig and all of that. God God promised them that. He said, it was God who said their gold and their silver would be multiplied. It was God who took David from living in caves and in the forest and gave him a kingdom and gave him such massive wealth that he was able to donate billions of dollars to the building of the temple at the time of his death. It was God who made Solomon so wealthy. that the Bible says that they had gold and silver like dust in the kingdom. So you mean to tell me that God did all of this in the lives of these people? And yet all of this is contrary to God's will. Why in the world would he go out of his way to do it for these folks and to promise it in covenant? No, God has never had a problem with material wealth. He created it and he created it to benefit people. But he trusts that those of us who are the custodians and stewards of it will not worship it, but that we will worship him, do good to other people, and then receive whatever gratification that is appropriate for us. Call that health and wealth gospel? No, now you're being un- unfair. Everywhere the God and, and, and I've got to leave this, but everywhere the gospel has gone, everywhere that the gospel has gone, I'm talking about societies and cultures and nations and generations. Everywhere the gospel has gone, it has raised the standard of living. Everywhere the gospel has gone, every nation impoverished nations, uh, deprived, depraved nations, where the gospel has gone and been allowed to become culturally endemic, culturally interwoven, it has raised the standard of living, education, health, uh, domestic, family, and so forth. It has raised the overall standard of living. When the gospel comes, what did Jesus say? Get off this, Brother Blue, I will. But Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter four and verse 18, reading from the book of Isaiah, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to them that are bruised. Okay, brokenhearted captives, bruised, blind. All of that's negative, right? And Jesus said, I'm anointed against those things. Well, what did he say before that? Preach the gospel to the poor. Do you think the poor is supposed to be a positive? Poverty is the entire enterprise of Satan. He is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said the anointing is the antidote for poverty. That doesn't just mean you get saved, you have a few dollars in your pocket. That's not what I'm talking about. It is the antidote for cultural and systemic and demographic and geopolitical poverty, mental, social poverty. The the anointing of the Holy Ghost is the antidote for poverty. And everywhere the gospel is gone. I'm not talking about somebody spin on the gospel. I'm not talking about somebody's religiosity using that to manipulate people. Everywhere the gospel, the liberating message of Jesus Christ has gone, it has raised the standard of living for that people. I want to go to the successors emphasis now. We talked about the satisfaction and there's always more, but I want to go to the successors. To, to fulfill my assignment, I must know my successors. John the Baptist's whole ministry was about preparing the way for the one who would come next. Suppose that's all of our assignment. Suppose that is a key element of all of our assignments that whatever it is that we do in the midst of that, we are preparing the way for the next. Suppose as an educator, I was preparing the way for the next. You know, I I just saw First Lady Rachel Brown. Um, I don't know if she's still on because she had to, she has to, uh, navigate her day, but she became a member of the staff of Marion high school. The year that I came out, I I think I was coming out the year she was coming on. I wonder her and others who came in after me, I wonder if there was anything that I did that prepared the way for the next as a pastor. Is there anything that I'm doing that's preparing the way for those who come after me? As a bishop, is there anything that I'm doing to prepare the way for those who come after me? As a community influencer, is there anything that I'm doing that's preparing the way as a man, as a husband, as a father, am I doing anything to prepare the way? I believe, I believe that when we examine our assignments, that a key element, of our assignment is to prepare the way for the next. Those of you who are cosmetologists and aestheticians, those of you that are healthcare workers, those of you, of course, who are educators, those of you who are governmental leaders, a major part, a major part of your assignment is preparing the way for the next. I mean, the next you the one who's going to occupy that position, the one who's going to fulfill that function that you're now occupying and filling That's God's will concerning the assignment. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I wonder what impression people get from my example. You ever think about that? you ever think about what it is that I'm doing, what kind of impression are people getting from that? See, it's one thing to know what you intended. It's another thing to know what people extracted or inferred or concluded from what you're doing because sometimes your intention and their conclusion is not the same. That's one of the reasons why we talk about things like, uh, and and let me let me back up and say it better. That's one of the reasons why, with um, our, um, what's it, uh, 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 Kingdom of the Arts and Media Festival. Bless you, Sister Johnson. Did you hear me? Kingdom of the Arts and Media Festival. That's one of the reasons why. Whenever we have had this. Um, event, our keynote speaker on Friday particularly, I've always asked that person to share anything God gives him or her, but please tell your story. Tell some part of your story. We've had Israel Holton. We've had Aaron Lindsay. Dr. Norman Hutchins comes to mind. Uh, We've had so many wonderful keynote uh, speakers. Brother Stephen Ford a Dr. Stephen Ford. And I've asked all of them, you can teach and preach whatever you choose, but please share your story because many times people assume that because you're a celebrity, because you're well-known, because you may have amassed some level of affluence, that that's the way it's always been. And they may think that even the way that they see you carry yourself and conduct yourself, yes, Bishop Winant, that that, that that's a a mark of arrogance, snobbery, and so forth. No, I want them to tell their story because I know that sitting in that room or now streaming is the next. The next Marvin Winans or the next Stephen Ford or the next Aaron Lindsay or the next Israel Holton is in that room or may get the replay or is in some room, or will watch some stream. And part of that assignment is to prepare the people for the next. That makes sense. That's right. sister Duncan poverty is the entire enterprise of Satan. All right. So, so know this. Know this, that a major component of your assignment is preparing the way for the next. Okay, put this in the comments. A major aspect of my assignment is preparing the way for the next. In other words, the reason why John the Baptist is such an appropriate figure is because John the Baptist represents all of us all of us, there's somebody coming behind us. There's somebody coming behind us. There's somebody coming behind us. There's somebody coming behind us, and I must prepare the way for the next. Uh, Sister Scarborough, your son is coming behind you. Those of all of us who are parents, your children are coming behind you. All of you are spiritual parents, your spiritual sons and daughters are coming behind you uh, in your community. Those younger leaders, those, those younger movers and shakers, makers and shapers, they're coming behind you. Prepare the way for them. Prepare the way. Raise a standard of character, of integrity, of honor, of honesty, of dependability, of trustworthiness. That's preparing the way for the next. All right. Um, being mindful of the successors. That's right. It's a perfect grandchildren and all of them. Notice this in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 35. John 1, Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, who? two of his disciples. All right. Verse 40. Verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now go back to verse 35. Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, one of whom was Andrew, verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, John is standing there with two of his disciples, two of his followers. And up to this point, they have been focused on John the Baptist. John the Baptist sees Jesus passing by and says to them behold that means look that means focus on him the lamb of god do you see that john comes to a point where he's directing his successors his disciples to look to jesus and to no longer look to him mm, 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 mm. Listen, you know what John is saying to his disciples? And I need you to hear me success, uh, those of you who are uh, raising up successors and responsible for successors. John the Baptist says to his disciples, I have taken you as far as I can take you. I need you to look now toward the one who can take you to the next level. Do you understand that it takes great humility and at the same time, great confidence to be able to tell people who've always looked to you for everything that I don't have what it takes for you to go to the next level of myself? I'm not telling you that what I've given you won't go with you to the next level, but I'm telling you that to propel you where you need to be, I don't have all of the necessary ingredients. And I want to point you in a direction that will prepare you for what's next. It takes a great deal of humility and a great deal of confidence and honesty to be able to tell someone who looks to you, there are some things that I can't do for you. I'm gonna touch a very sensitive area right here. Single mother or even single father, single mother of son, single single father of daughter, it takes great humility, great honesty, and great confidence for you to say, sister, to your son, you, single father, to say to your daughter, I love you. I've given my life to you and I would give my life for you. But I can't be a man to you. Talking to her son, I can't be a woman to you talking to his daughter. And so I've got to point you in a direction where somebody can give you what I can't give. I can teach you integrity. I can teach you honor. I can teach you a work ethic. I can teach you to love people, respect people, have self-confidence. I can teach you all of that. I cannot be your role model as a man if I'm not a man. I can't be your role model as a woman if I'm not a woman. And I'm not going to turn you loose just to anything that wears pants and claims to be a man or wears a skirt and claims to be a woman. No, no, no. But I'm going to point you in a direction where you can receive what I don't have the ability to give you. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Because it matters more to me that you get what you need than for me to retain you because of my own need. It means more to me that you become with no fetters and no hindrances, it means more to me that that would occur than for me to continue to be satisfied in knowing that you're looking to me. And so I stunt your growth. I stunt your development at your expense for my personal benefit. If I love you, that I'm going to direct you past me to the one who can help take you to the next level. That doesn't mean you're leaving your mama, you're leaving your daddy, that you're replacing that, that, not at all. Remember this that true leader, that true mentor, that true father, mother says to that child, in effect, you'll always need me, but you will not need me as you've always needed me. You will always need me, but you will not always need me as you've always needed. me. The quality of the need will change. I'm talking about preparing your successors. John stood. See, Nobody had to wait till John died and then Jesus come along. So I, he just taken over because John dead. You know, no, 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 no. John said, "While I'm alive, let me give you some direction. Wise is the leader. Wise is the parent. Wise is the pastor. Wise is the CEO who gives direction while he or she is alive and in his or her strength to give it." While you have strength, point them in a direction. While you have strength, let them know that in order for you to become what you are destined to become, I can't let you remain a boy when there's a man inside you. I can't allow you to remain a girl when there's a woman inside you. And if I let you keep dealing with me as though you're a girl, you'll never become a woman. If I let you keep dealing with me as though you're a boy, you'll never become a man. And so I've got to point you into a direction that makes both of us somewhat uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And this is not just true with parents who have children of, the, of a different gender. You may have uh, children of the same gender, but they're just certain abilities and certain skills that you don't have. And so you can't help the child cultivate it, even though you see it in the child. For example, I am not an athlete. I am not an athlete. I used to play football a good bit uh, right before I uh, got the Holy Ghost and got in the Holy Church and gave everything up, almost. But I, I, I played football. But as far as basketball, no, no, that's not my area. So when my son comes along and he loves basketball and so on and so forth, I can't stymie his gifting because it's not my gifting. What I need to do is point him in a direction where he can receive wholesome instruction for his athleticism, but that will also challenge his character, that he won't just be a balling nut, but that he will be a man on and off the court. In this case, It doesn't have anything to do with gender. So someone said, oh, he's just talking about single mothers and single, no, 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 no. your, Your mentee, your pupil, your student is going to always have something that you don't have. And they're going to have some potential that you don't have the personal ability to cultivate. And so what do you do? You do like John the Baptist and you point your successor in the direction of their next level. Yes, those who were with us in the word last evening will recall that the analogy that uh, is written in the book of Psalm 127, that that children are as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. All right. We're going to have to go, right? All right. You all ready to go? Let's let's wrap up i hope that you've been benefited we're not done with this topic obviously i was hoping that we would get much further um but you know it's necessary to try to plow into it probe into it to make sure we're clear and to help us to see ourselves right the bible says the word is a mirror the word of god helps us to see ourselves and most of of the time when we go into the mirror We don't just go to look at ourselves. We go to make adjustments. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? The majority of the time that we go before the mirror, we don't just go in there to see ourselves because we kind of remember what we look like. You understand? But we go there to make adjustments. Straighten the tie, right? Sisters, get the makeup and all of that in its place. Now, Brother Spicer, you've been listening to me preach too long. (laughs) Yes. But you see it, right? Okay. So we're going to go. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I want you to determine that you're going to fulfill the assignment of God upon your life. Until we meet again, this is Michael Blue encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, we shall bring pleasure to Christ's heart. We shall bring fame to his name. Don't leave your teacher. Don't leave your John the Baptist. You always need them, but they appoint you in a connection that will bring you to your next. Till we meet again, may the peace of God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP. The podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M A Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation live every Monday at eleven thirty a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.